0: remain standing as you are able for the reading of God's word. The text for this morning is from Revelation chapter 21 verses 1 through 8. I will be reading in Danish. The English text will be on the screen as I read. Derefter så jeg ny himmel og ny jord. For den første himmel og den første jord var forsvundet, og var der ikke mere. Jeg så den hellige by, den nye Jerusalem, være på vej ned fra himlen, parat til at tage imod sine indbyggere, som en brud, der har smukseret sig og er parat til at møde sin brudgom. Så hørte jeg en høj stemme fra tronen. Se, Guds bolig er nu hos menneskene. Han vil bo sammen med dem, og de skal være hans folk. Han vil tørre hver en tårer af deres kind, og der skal ikke længere være død eller sorg, skrig eller smerte. Alt det gamle er forbi. Han der stod på tronen sagde: "Se, jeg gør alt ting nydt." Og han fortsatte: "Skriv det ned, for det er troværdig og sande ord." This is God's word. Please be seated.
1: All right, good morning church. My name is Brian, I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity City Church. We have kids being dismissed for children's church and a reminder to parents, please pick them up right before or right after you take uh, communion. If you're visiting today and you're wondering uh, why we don't have the AC on, that's because we don't have any. Um, And so this is kind of uh, the summer routine is uh, we just see what Providence has for us in terms of what the Lord gives us for weather each Sunday. And July is getting started a little early here. Uh, There is uh, some discussion, uh, by the way, on the governance board uh, of... Uh, they have a committee that's exploring the idea of uh, looking into what it would cost to get HVAC in this building. So, whoa, there we go. That was the most charismatic I've ever seen this church. Um, that was awesome. So if that's exciting to you, I would encourage you to uh, yeah, talk to somebody on the governance board and be like, yes, please not only look into it, but follow through, let us know the numbers, whatever. It is something that uh, is definitely on our radar, and we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. There might be some more news to come. Uh, with that. We are nearing the end of the book of Revelation. We only have uh, three more Sundays left in this book, including today's uh, message, and right now we are looking mainly at the, the theology of heaven, uh, is how uh, Revelation ends. So the next two Sundays, we will be looking into a theology of heaven from the book of Revelation, and then we have a concluding sermon uh, on that third Sunday. And then after that, we go back to summer in the Psalms, where we'll do this, this time around 11 weeks in the Psalms together, which will bring us up to Labor Day weekend. Uh, so uh, we're not 100% sure what we're going to do in the fall yet, if it's going to be an Old Testament book, if it's going to be more of a thematic message. Uh, if you have requests, let me know. If there's a book of the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, that's intriguing to you, if there's a theme or a topic that you would love to see in a sermon series, I'd love to hear a little bit of feedback Uh, from you all. Well, let's dive into the text, but let's first pray uh, before we do so. Let's pray. God, your son, Jesus Christ, is the brightness of your glory and the exact image of your person. Death could not conquer him, nor the tomb imprison him. As he shared our frailty in human flesh, help us to share his immortality in the spirit. Lord, let no shadow of the grave terrify us, and no fear of darkness turn our hearts from you, Lord. Reveal your Son to us right now, today, in this moment, in all of our days, because he is the first and the last, the living one, our immortal Savior and Lord, and it's in his name we pray, amen. So what happens after you die, and where is history going? Many people have answers to this question and some version of it could be heaven or maybe no heaven at all. There's uh, some folks that might be spiritual but not believe in a vision of heaven that says something to the effect that our energy lives on and we just rejoin the universe or some type of other dimensions. Other people might embrace some version of reincarnation or rebirth as something that happens after we die, where we show up in a new body as a new being, and the quality of that new experience is dependent on our moral quality right now. And others, they are not maybe spiritual at all, that they uh, just believe that when we die, we just simply cease to exist, just like we don't remember or care about what things were like before we had life, that's what it will be like. Afterwards as well. But for most people, they don't answer it in those categories. I, I think about those visions of the afterlife, you know, being caught up as energy in a universe or, or reincarnation or just ceasing to exist. And I I mean, I just think about that and think, man, I'd rather just live right now because this is a world that has cheeseburgers, and that sounds a little bit better than being energy in the universe, right? But to be fair, when some people talk about heaven, I think it can also be just as an uninspiring. Even if for most people the answer about what happens after you die and where is history going, well, it's heaven, but sometimes I think the way that we even talk about that is just as un- uninspiring. If you, if you believe in a more spiritual version of heaven, maybe it's something like this popular view that's popular even among Christians. You die and your spirit gets to leave this God-forsaken earth where you get to float on a cloud, surrounded by religious people and angels, and you get to enjoy good weather for eternity, right? And that sounds okay, that's maybe a little bit better than being energy that returns to the universe, but still, it's it's a little bit like, is that it? Like, won't you get bored? Religious people aren't always the greatest people to hang out with, like, what is is that really what heaven is like? Mark Twain supposedly said, quote, but his vision, this is his hope, is, quote, go to heaven for the climate and hell for the company, right? He would rather, when he thinks about, like, the boring religious people maybe in heaven, uh, it doesn't sound like great company. An atheist author once wrote this, quote, I don't believe in an afterlife, so I don't have to spend my whole life fearing hell or fearing heaven even more. For whatever tor- uh, torments of hell, I think the boredom of heaven would even be worse. All right, that's his vision. Again, here's this this vision of heaven, this spiritual existence on a cloud maybe with angels and says, like, it just kind of sounds boring. And so I don't want to live my life in light of that. There's another author I read that gave this view of heaven that I think those that may have lost their faith could relate to. He said, Christian heaven... Uh, could be a version of hell because it would, quote, be a place full of happy, smiling Christians, right? And he kind of goes on to describe kind of a sort of Northwestern or Bethel in the clouds, right? And so, like, if you went to that and you've kind of left the faith, uh, like, you might think, like, well, those experiences weren't that great, and if that's what heaven's going to be like, then no thank you, right? So uh, this stuff matters because I think it, it is one of the things that give Christians hope, And it ought to be one of the things that draw people that have no faith to faith. So you hear some of these uh, versions of heaven, and I I just think about uh, how they, they just fall short. And when you ask somebody, tell me what you think about heaven, and the answer is some type of bored, annoyed, or uninspiring existence, then that's something that I don't believe in either. And I don't think Revelation gives us that picture. So to go back to the question, what happens after you die and where is history going? I, I, I know the answer. Philippians 1.21 says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Life is good and is meant to be lived for the glory of God, but after we die, death for a Christian is gain. And what do they gain? They gain Christ. To die means to, to be part and to be with Christ, which is better than anything. It's joy inexpressible and full of glory. Timothy Keller, a pastor and author, once said, quote, all death can do to Christians is make their lives infinitely better. But if we read Revelation 21, as great as that is, there's even more. There's even more to the picture of, of not only what happens after death, but where his history going to the new heaven and new earth. And a clue from this comes from First Corinthians 15 where Paul describes what happens to our body when we die and he describes it it's that it's like sowing a seed into the ground your perishable perishable body goes into the ground like a seed but that seed will one day bloom at the final resurrection and will rise with an imperishable body and not only will our bodies be made nude but both heaven and earth will be made new so death for a Christian Is immediately a homecoming for sure, but there's more to it than that. History is going to wrap up with the resurrection of our bodies and the renewal of heaven and earth. All things spiritual and physical in heaven and earth will be made new and we get to lean into that vision over the next couple weeks as we consider this picture of the new heavens and new earth from Revelation 21 and the beginning of 22. Today, we're going to consider how when this happens, the old is gone and the new has come and we get to ponder who gets to inherit that day when it's here. So let's first check out what the old is. Revelation 21.1 says, this is the vision from John, he says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. This language of heaven and earth is language that means everything, the spiritual, the physical, what we can see, what we cannot see, our place and the places of angels. This is everything is being renewed. And am I raised the question, well, what's wrong with the old? What's wrong with what has to go? And from our perspective, that is the current reality because we are living in the old right now. And as we know, the old or our current world is infected by sin. It's vandalized by evil, it's terrorized by death. Of course, there are good things in this world and joyful things in this world, but those things are never safe, they're never secure. Friendships are broken up by conflict and healthy bodies get sick and nations go to war. That's what our current world is like. And one of the unique ways that Revelation describes this rebellious and chaotic world is with imagery of a sea. Let's remember this theme because we need to put it into perspective because then you will fully appreciate that phrase in that first verse when it says the sea was no more. The sea, there was no longer any sea. It's not saying that there are no beach vacations in heaven. It's much more profound than that. We have to understand what does revelation mean by sea. And if you remember and if you've been tracking in this series, the sea is a dangerous place, not a place of calm in the book of Revelation. It's the place where evil powers emerge like the beast that we saw in one of the other visions. It symbolizes unbelieving nations who are against God and his love. The sea is a place of idolatry and greed and power. This. Picture of the sea in the book of Revelation is not the Lord leading us beside still waters. That's not the vision we're supposed to have when we think about the sea. Think of Lake Superior during November when strong winds toss large waves onto the cliffs on, on the banks or onto Canal Park in Duluth. Think about an ocean with a tsunami or a hurricane. Picture a sea with, in the horizon, you see warships that are coming towards your country. That's what the imagery of the sea is like for the reader of the book of Revelation, right? The sea is not the water that cleanses us. That's not the feeling here, right? The sea is more like a water pipe breaking in your house when you're away for a week. It's destructive. It gives you anxiety, right? That's that's what the sea is. I think the sea is just this really vivid picture of brokenness and chaos in this world. I mean, picture yourself, right? If you're on the sea at night during a storm that's tossing you around, that's the feeling here. And hasn't your life sometimes felt like that? Don't you feel like you're being tossed around on a, on a chaotic, dark sea sometimes? Don't you ever have that feeling in life? Your life is being tossed around because of sin and brokenness and injustice and death that's all around us. That's the sea, and it's exhausting. So the sea here represents the old order of things, and it's our present reality, because right now, there are things that make us cry tears of pain and suffering. Right now, there is mourning. Right now, there is death. Right now, we are tossed around by the restless sea of life. But, what's ahead? Revelation 21, 2. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death. No more mourning, nor crying nor pain, for the old order of things has passed away. John sees a holy city, which is a dominant image of how the new heavens and new earth are described, and we'll unpack that a little bit more next week. Here, I want to focus on that imagery of a bride coming down from God, from heaven, that's describing the new heaven and new earth. And this wedding imagery has already come up in the book of Revelation. Back in Revelation 19, it mentioned a wedding feast of the Lamb. And heaven is being described like a celebration because that's exactly what it is. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a vision of dancing and music and the best foods and the best drinks spared at no expense. That's the vision. It is the party of parties that you don't want to miss. And everyone will be talking about this. Forever and ever and ever. Here, the image is of a bride, not the wedding party, and the emphasis is on intimacy. It is true that God is with us right now because Christ has come, died on the cross, rose from the dead, and poured out his spirit, but there will be a day that is even more intense and more intimate with our Lord. God is preparing us for that day like a bride for her wedding date. I have had the joy of uh, being along for that experience of many people getting married as a pastor and officiating weddings and doing premarital counseling. And I get to hear a lot about that anticipation and all the planning that goes into that day. And we do the check ins on that every time we have premarital counseling. How's the planning going? They're usually stressed, but they're excited. They can't wait for that day. And it's one Another thing I was thinking about, just that of that. Capturing that anticipation for a day to come. There's so many couples that love that Beach Boy song, right? Wouldn't it be nice? Like there's so many people that aren't married yet that they love that song. Wouldn't it be nice if we were older, right? Then we wouldn't have to live, wait so long. Wouldn't it be nice if we could live together and then we can stay the whole night through? They just love the lyrics of that song because it's this anticipation that's building that, that yeah, what I have right now is nice, but it's going to be better on that day. That's what the picture is here. When the big day arrives, it's a celebration of a new union and a new reality of that relationship. And that intimacy is being described here in Revelation 21 as God is with us and we are with him. We are his people and God himself will be our God. Here's another way to think about it. What's being described here in the new heavens and new earth that isn't something you experience now as a Christian is a relationship with God without limitations without barriers. There is no more mourning, crying, pain, or death. Nothing left in the new heavens and new earth to limit us from the inexpressible joy in the unfiltered presence of God forever. That's what's ahead of us. I mean, think about this on a human level, right? Think about uh, anybody that you just cherish that relationship with that person. You love that person. It's a friend, it's a roommate, it's a coworker, it's a spouse, it's a child. Somebody that you deeply love and you love spending time with. But even in this world, we we understand that those types of relationships are always limited and it always seems that things get in the way from our ability to enjoy just time with people we love and in their presence and enjoying the things that we like to do. There's always things that get in the way. Work, responsibilities, chores. Sometimes it's also like you get in a fight or a disease impacts your relationship, or somebody moves away. We have these experiences where we can't fully enjoy the people that we love because there's barriers, there's things that get in the way, and that's what the relationship is like with the Lord too. We truly do have Him, and He loves us, and we love Him. But there are barriers, there's limitations, and it's frustrating. It's so frustrating to live in a world, right, where you have God as ultimate love, eternal life, glorious light, yet we have these barriers of sin and death and darkness, and it's exhausting, and it's frustrating, and we long for something better. And John here pictures that day where there's no more limitations, no more hindrances, no more distance between us and the Lord. And even the greatest enemies of sin, death, and the devil are no more because these are the old things and they have passed away. That is the vision of the new heavens and new earth. Revelation 21.5 says, He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. So God here sits on the throne and he declares, I am making everything new. It's done, it's accomplished, it's finished. He who is true and faithful says it, it's going to happen. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He is the A to Z of history. He's the sovereign one who's in control of all things. This is going to happen, and nothing is going to stop it. Verse five says, from the Lord, I am making everything new. It's an important verse in the life of our church. If you've never noticed, that is the verse that greets you when you walk into those doors every Sunday. We've always had the vision of having that particular verse out there that that 's the first thing that you see before you come into this sanctuary and why 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 did as us, us church leaders want you to be greeted with that verse and have have one of our, our artists and residents uh, d- uh, get a graphic out there that that's the first thing you see when you walk in? Why is that the case? Because I always had this vision we have this vision of, of what life is like we, we we come into this place of refuge, like we're coming off the sea. And we're coming off the sea, and the sea has been tossing us around, and we're tired, and we're broken, we're discouraged, and we're anxious when we come to this place. And sometimes it seems like there's no end in sight for some of the challenges that we experience, and the intensity of those things are so much to bear. So when you come in and out of the sea into the sanctuary, I want you to be greeted with the truth of where history is going, what God is doing right now in Christ and what he is going to do when he wraps up history. It's a reminder to weary saints that are, that are coming into the sanctuary from the sea that God is making everything new. That's where history is going and that's the hope that we want you to have each and every week this vision of john also asks the question how does somebody inherit this promise and he says so in verses 7 to 8 those who are victorious will inherit all of this and i will be their god and they will be my children but the cowardly the unbelieving the vile the murderers the sexually immoral those who practice magic arts the adulterers and all liars They will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. The old is still here and the new is coming. And the reality is is that not everybody will be in that new heaven and new earth. Because for some, the price of faith is too high to confess that Jesus is Lord and the idols of this world offer things that we cannot refuse. Yet those things are pulling us away from the God of life into death. It's pulling you out of the new heavens and new earth and into something far worse than the sea. On the other hand, this text says there are the victorious, and that is those who did not compromise faith in Christ, even to the point of death. This is a vision of hope for one to be victorious because it's just a, this vision to say, keep going, keep, keep, keep having faith right keep keep having hope because the day is coming Don't compromise, lay hold of Christ, keep going, you're going to get there. And it is true that this vision says that that, that the reality for each and every Christian is that we really are no earthly good unless we have this type of vision of hope of where history is going and that death does not win and sin does not win and injustice and evil do not win, but God wins and love wins and forgiveness wins and peace wins. And the hope is that we get to walk into that through faith and the work of Jesus Christ. Another way, thank you, brother, amen. Another way that Revelation pictures it is with water. Or a way you could ask it is, brothers and sisters, whether you believe or not believe, are you thirsty for this? Is this something that you long for? Revelation 2, 21, 6 says, to the thirsty, this is the Lord saying this, to the thirsty... I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. That's what's in the new heavens and new earth. It, not the sea, but the water of life. And you drink of that and you're satisfied and you're sustained forever and ever and ever. It's drawing imagery from Isaiah 55:1, which says this, Come, all who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. And that is the invitation of the gospel. You don't have to earn this. You don't have to buy this. Christ paid for it on the cross. Defeated those powers of death and darkness through his resurrection from the dead. And he offers you this beautiful reward from his sacrifice, and he says you don't have to do anything for it. Everything at all in life that's this glorious, it feels like you have to work for it, you have to earn it, you have to have money and power and influence to get it, but not at the cross, not at the empty tomb. It's a free offer to all people that you just turn from this path that's calling you away from the God of life. And he just says the door is open, the spring is here, anybody can approach and drink from this place if you come here, with faith and hope. That is the invitation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's how I want to conclude with this this imagery in mind. I want to conclude with why this matters right now. The day is ahead, but it's not here yet. So what impact does that have on us right now? And I want to share uh, a devotional to close that that, uh, one of our staff uh, shared in a staff meeting, Kim shared this from a book she was reading. The book is titled, Everything Sad is Untrue. That phrase, if you're not familiar with that phrase, comes from a different book, a different series, the Lord of the Rings series, and it happens when Sam discovers his friend Gandalf is not actually dead. And when Sam thought Gandalf was dead, he. It was so sad, like anybody would about a friend dying. He was so sad about his death that it felt like he, Sam, had died himself. And so when he sees that Gandalf is alive, he asks this question. Is everything sad going to come untrue? That's a beautiful way to put it, because there's so much that's sad. But the new heavens and new earth means that they're untrue. They're done. They're the old thing. So that's where the, the title of the book comes from is that background. The book, Everything Sad is Untrue, is not about wizards and hobbits though. It's about a mother and her son and specifically about her son's perspective, the son's perspective on his mom. Because he's looking at his mom's life and he's wondering how did this woman stay so faithful and kind in her life because she had been through so much and the son had seen that he, she had been through so much. The background on the mother in this story is that she becomes a Christian through a bunch of crazy circumstances while living in Iran. And she becomes involved in an underground church. Her husband, however, stays unconverted, and, and even though that they're coming from this smart and successful family in medicine, she starts to be persecuted because of her new faith. Police get wind of her and her faith, and they take her away with all these stories of much violence that she faces as a result of it. She eventually flees Iran with her kids. Her husband stays behind, and she flees because it's not safe, and she becomes a refugee in Italy, and she's in a camp there for a few years just trying to get by, trying to protect and provide for her kids. Eventually, she makes it to Oklahoma, and she remarries but still faces even more challenges as she remarries but to an abusive husband. The son sees this in his mother's life and sees that she faces all these horrible and sad things. And he's just pondering at the end of the book, why was it that she faced all these things, but she still, for the most part, was a kind, faithful, loving person? What was it? And this is the quote of the son pondering this about his mom towards the end of the book. Here's the quote. It's a longer one, but it's it's such a good quote, and it puts it in perspective. He says this about his mom. I don't know how my mom was so unstoppable despite all the stuff happening. I don't know. Maybe it's anticipation. Hope. The anticipation that the God who listens in love will one day speak justice. The hope that some final fantasy will come to pass that will make everything sad untrue, unpainful. That across rivers of sewage and blood will be a field of yellow flowers blooming. You can get lost there and still be unafraid. No one will chase you off of it. It's yours. A father who loves you planted it for you. A mother who loves you watered it. And maybe there are other people there, but they are all so kind Or better than that, they are right with each other. They cheat each other right. If you have that, maybe you keep moving forward. I mean, imagine you're in a refugee camp, and you know it'll be a year or more before anything happens. It's going to be a tough year. But for the person who thinks, at the end of this year, I am going to be free, a place without secret police, free to believe whatever I want and to teach my children, And you'll believe it will be hard, but eventually, you'll build a whole new life. That's like winning the lottery. It's like saying you'll get $100 million at the end of the year. But if you're thinking every place is the same, and there will always be people who abuse you, and about how poor you'll be at first, that sadness overtakes you. It's like saying you'll get soup and a sandwich at the end of the year, and that's it. Here's the thing. You'll both have the same year, the same experiences. But one of you will be looking around with joy and anticipation, wondering what you can do to prepare your kids for the new world. And the other will be slumped in the courtyard, surrendered to the idea that it's all one long river of blood. I don't know which belief is true. Nobody does. But what you believe about the future will change how you live in the present. That's how she did it. And that is how Christians do it. Amen, church? Amen.